We try not to spend too much time talking about American politics on the show because, you know, American Network spent a lot of time talking about American politics. And uh, I thought about talking about this last night, but today it felt like the right time because suddenly something that seems so inconsequential turns into something that symbolizes a whole lot. So a political drama is unfolding in the U.S. House of Representatives. It continued to play out today. Now, the election of a House Speaker is meant to be a very routine affair that comes before anything else gets done. And for the last century or so, every single vote has ended with a winner after the first round. Not this time. Today, U.S. House uh, House Republicans failed through a second day of multiple balloting unable to elect California Republican Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker in six rounds of voting. Um, McCarthy has already moved into the Speaker's office, apparently. He was so sure he was going to win. They were pretty sure they were going to have enough votes to win on the first ballot. It didn't happen. And it has laid bare the inner conflicts of a party, um, the GOP, the Republicans, and tarnished the start of their majority in the House of Representatives right out of the gates. Now, that is, despite the support of the majority of Republicans elected to Congress and another endorsement for McCarthy from former President Donald Trump, who still carries a bit of weight, even though it wasn't so obvious during the midterms that just went past. Uh, The chamber's most conservative members, this is the Cole's notes of this, the chamber's most conservative members believe McCarthy is neither conservative enough nor tough enough to battle the Democrats the way they want to battle the Democrats over the next couple of years. Here is one of them, Colorado Congressman Lauren Boebert. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off, I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. Now, tonight, they adjourned once again, a reprieve for McCarthy because he was going to lose again, it seems. So they decided to adjourn without a new speaker in place. Uh, They did manage to vote to adjourn until tomorrow. As I mentioned, the House clerk of all people, Cheryl Johnson, now finds herself on CPAC presiding over all of this because there's no speaker. Here's what it sounded like a few hours ago in Washington. On this vote, the yeas are 216. The nays are 214. Accordingly... The motion is adopted. Accordingly, the House stands adjourned until noon tomorrow. And we'll do it all over again. So what this means is that nothing can begin. No members can be sworn in. No bills can be introduced. No committee activity can begin until this is taken care of. When will it be taken care of? Who knows? So what is going on? What does this mean for the next two years? What does it mean for the rest of us who are watching this from afar? Joining me now with more on this is Charles Hunt. He's an assistant professor of political science at Boise State University. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Great to be with you, Ben. Well, this has really turned into something of a sideshow, right? Or, 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 or a farce, if you prefer. But uh, what exactly is going on? For those who haven't been watching it carefully, Kevin McCarthy came into this looking like he was just going to squeeze through uh, and he didn't get the votes. Well, I think to your point, Ben, it would be easy to call it a sideshow or a farce if it weren't so important to the functioning of the American Congress. Like you said, nothing can get done here until we have a Speaker of the House. You know, unlike the Senate, the other uh, chamber in in American Congress, the Speaker has quite a lot of power uh, because there are so many members. And that includes the power to sort of coordinate the setting of rules 
for the Congress, and that is what allows members to get sworn in, committee assignments, passage of bills. So this matters a whole lot, and the kind of paralysis that we're seeing within the Republican Party right now I think is indicative of the kind of paralysis that we'll see, not just on, like you say, routine procedural votes like this, but really key issues like the raising of the debt ceiling and and other issues that we're likely to see in this Congress. So when one looks at the numbers, uh, McCarthy has a lot of votes, more than 200 or right around 200. It seems to be there's about uh, 20 some odd people who are opposing this within the Republican Party. This is a bit of a circular firing squad. Who's opposed to it? What do they want? Well, as for who's opposed to it, it is a group of about 20, most of whom, almost all of whom are associated with uh, what's called the uh, the House Freedom Caucus. This is a group of farther right conservative uh, Republicans that tends to be more closely affiliated with former President Trump. They come from more sort of Trump affiliated congressional districts. Uh, most of these members tended to be uh, election deniers in 2020, right? They were folks who basically denied the the, the the idea that Joe Biden actually won the presidential election in 2020. And so as far as what they want, it is actually not all that clear. McCarthy gave them a number of really deep concessions in the weeks leading up to these votes, and it doesn't seem to have been enough for them. And so it's raising this question of whether this is just something personal about McCarthy uh, or whether there is actually a candidate who these folks could get behind that could ever be palatable to the other Republicans within the conference, much less any of the of the Democrats. And so it's hard for me to sort of see how this uh, ends at the moment. Yeah, it is hard to see how it's going to end because there isn't any obvious Republican replacement for Kevin McCarthy. I see, I've seen some names thrown around, but it doesn't look like any of them have uh, substantial support. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries is getting the most votes right now, right? He's the Democrat. Um, what? How does this play out? I mean, this could go on forever right. unless there's some sort of concession. Well, I mean, you mentioned Hakeem Jeffries, who has received unanimous support from the Democrats each and every time. And that's notable because it's a very close majority that we're dealing with that the Republicans have. It's only uh, it's only uh, about eight, eight or nine seats, uh, ten, maybe 10 seats right now. And that means they have very little margin for error in terms of who they're they're going to elect. And the Democrats are going to continue to stand strong and watch the Republicans self-destruct. They're happy to do that. Um, but the problem is that these 20 folks have been steadfast in denying McCarthy. But you also have a group of more moderate folks uh, from states like New York and, and California and Illinois more Democrat-leaning areas or who were elected in districts that Joe Biden won, the Democrat in 2020, who are not likely to vote for one of them or or vote for a hyper-conservative to lead the body. And so the question is whether it's someone like uh, Representative Steve Scalise of Louisiana, he's McCarthy's number two, is viewed as more conservative. Uh, But it doesn't seem like there's been a ton of appetite for him so far. And McCarthy has... Uh, not shown any signs of giving in despite not gaining any ground in these first six votes. So uh, it's, I mean, deadlock is the right word to use. I'm not sure where we go from here. Yeah. When one looks at it from the Democrats' perspective, I suppose the old adage here is if your enemy is making a mistake, just stay out of the way, right? Because one would think because McCarthy's the more moderate candidate here that, you know, Democrats could push him over the edge if they they wanted to, but I guess that's not going to happen either. 
Well, there's two things I would I would point to here. One is that, okay, yes, McCarthy is the more moderate candidate, but by no means is he a moderate. I mean, he's a very no, all relative fellow. Yes, uh, yes. But it's just the movement of the Republican Party over the last you know half decade to a decade makes this really notable. The other thing I would say is that there's been you know there's been some talk, particularly on social media, about oh, well, what if the Democrats decide to combine forces with this moderate wing of the Republican Party and throw their support, probably not behind McCarthy. I don't think Democrats want to do that, but maybe they can find a more moderate Republican who they could get to lead the chamber and maybe try to work with the Democrats on some issues. Now, this is something that Democrats might like, but the Republicans, I don't see a lot of them even beyond this 20 group, this 20 uh, member free, uh, Freedom Caucus group going along with with something like that. So, um, you know, I think they would have to get really desperate before they turn to something like that. But I mean, you know, this can go on for as long as it goes on it, in in throughout American history. It's happened a couple of times. And, you know, for, during the Civil War, it went on for months and months and months. And, uh, you know, that's just the nature of the House. It won't, you know, nothing will go forward until we got a speaker. Yeah, you have to vote, right? I mean, you need, you need to have a winner. Yeah, uh, yeah was it 133 yeah. rounds? Was that, the, was that the 133 way back yeah, when? I, uh, I believe so. Like and uh, I, I sincerely hope we don't have to talk again after round 134 this time. But, you know, no. we'll see. But, but as you mentioned, just the functioning of government if you can't even yeah. swear in new members of Congress and no committee work gets done, they can't vote on anything, uh, that must have an impact. Or, does, or do things just stay status quo? You talked about the debt ceiling earlier. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, the debt ceiling is the big, the big sort of fight that's coming up. And that's one of the key sticking points, I think, as far as concessions that McCarthy maybe has tried to be open to but doesn't want to necessarily go down that road. Uh, this is a fight that Democrats and Republicans uh, in the U.S. have had a, a couple of times now and that were, you know, for those who remember the Obama administration, this was a major fight back in 2011 uh, that Republicans, you know, didn't want to raise the debt ceiling. But, you know, most economists seem to agree that this not doing so would have catastrophic economic impacts, not just in the U.S., but across the world. Um, and so and so Democrats uh, don't necessarily want to give an inch there. But, you know, again, none of that can happen until we have a speaker, until we have a set of rules that govern how the House does business. And I think one thing that's sort of uh, a shadow over a lot of this is the fact that what a, I think a lot of Republicans and Democrats understand, which is that Democrats still control the Senate, the other chamber of Congress. And, of course, Joe Biden is still the president. And so, you know, it's it's not as if the Republicans are going to get some sweeping legislative agenda, you know, conservative legislative agenda passed. Joe Biden would have to sign it. So, you know, a lot of this is 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 sort of political posturing in advance, yeah. I think, of the 2024 presidential election. I guess one of the, you know, it was funny, Eurasia Group, a uh, think tank in the States, released its, you know, top 10 risks for 2023. And one of them, again, was, you know, divided America. And when one yeah. looks at this, um, again, it, it's, you know, it's it's sort of a minor incident in the sense that you're right, it has big implications. But it's just another example of sort of the most basic thing not working. And, uh, you know, what do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, this 
this sort of fight within the Republican Party is very representative of the kind of divide that they have been dealing with kind of on mute a little bit over the past couple of years. You know, we just had uh, these these midterm elections back in November where we had new elections for, for Congress and a few governor's races. And, you know, the theme of that election seemed to be that the more kind of Donald Trump affiliated candidates, particularly at the statewide level, really underperformed for the Republicans. And so you have this kind of party soul searching that's going on among the voters, among candidates for office, and certainly in the House. And we're kind of seeing that projected, I think, onto this fight over the speakership, because the House is the one kind of, uh, you know, chamber of legislative government that Republicans do have control over now. And so that's sort of where we see this this played out all the eggs in that basket. One, one looks yeah. at the sorts of things that happen, and often it's sort of the let's break everything caucus, right, uh, that, that we see. When one sees these things happening, do, do you worry at all that there's, again, yet another erosion in sort of the, call it the decorum of politics, when things work a certain way because they always have, and they, you know, they're sort of, they function, right? Even though there are a lot of this argument, arguing goes on behind closed doors, it's settled by the time that this uh, the vote comes around. I guess the, the concern here is that it spreads even to countries like Canada, too, that we see this sort of dysfunction seep into the most basic functions of of, uh, of government. Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable thing to fear. Um, you know, we, we've seen it among, uh, you know, regular members of the public over the last few years, these political divisions getting really personal. There's a lot of, you know, I'm a political scientist. There's a lot of political science suggesting that over the past half decade to a decade or so, a lot of disagreements between the left and the right that had previously been based on policy or based on sort of conservative or liberal ideology have really devolved into much more personal um, personal affronts or, or, or that they've, they've gotten very personal in this way. And I think it's sort of indicative, this, this sort of fight among the Republicans at the, in terms of the Speaker's office, where it doesn't seem like the differences between these groups are necessarily ideological. Now, these 20 folks are very conservative, but the things that they are that they seem to be lodging complaints about are much less about ideology or about who's conservative and who's not, but much more about kind of being anti-establishment, anti-institution, kind of, uh, you know, as you put it, kind of the break everything caucus. And I think it reflects a lot of the frustration that a lot of Americans have about politics and about Congress, but of, you know, as we've been talking about this, uh, this is not exactly the way to make the house run in a way that I think most Americans uh, or Canadians for that matter would appreciate. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, of course, this whole thing with McCarthy, if you were to ask uh, those, uh, you know, the dissidents, so to speak, what it is exactly that they want, it would be hard to figure out, I guess. And you're right. It, it feels very personal in this case. I guess we'll be tuning in again tomorrow to see if they can. If, do they just keep voting? Is that what happens? Well, they can keep voting if, if they want. A lot of the discussion over the last couple of days has been, well, do we just do we take another vote or do we adjourn for the day? So they had, you know, they planned they had planned to come back together around eight o'clock Eastern this evening to have another vote. But it was sort of determined that there would be no point to that, right? That McCarthy, that it would probably be the same result. And so they voted to adjourn instead. 
Um, you know, like we said, Democrats have just decided to, to stand united, which politically is probably the smart thing for them to do. Uh, and in the meantime, I mean, whether it's McCarthy or someone else, the Republicans have to work this out on their own. This is one of the burdens of being the majority. You have to decide <laughs> how you are going to be a united front. Charles Hunt, thank you so much. My pleasure.